Please remain standing and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Have you remember that this is the continuation of the vision that John received starting back in chapter 4. I'm not going to read chapter 4 this time, but only chapter 5 for us this morning. So Revelation chapter 5, this is God's holy word inspired by the Holy Spirit and written for your edification. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down. And worshiped. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and you may be seated. In the previous sermon, we observed how the beginning of Revelation chapter 5 marks the commencement of Christ's kingdom. And the end of chapter 5 marks the consummation of his kingdom. What John sees in Revelation chapter 5 is Jesus coming to sit at God's right hand to rule. And that's why John sees a scroll in the right hand of God who sits on the throne. And Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is the only one able to open the scroll. Now the scroll, as we discussed, is the plan of God to execute judgments on the world so that he might make Christ's enemies his footstool. 
You see, when Christ ascended into heaven, he was enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. And so what John is seeing is a worship service in heaven that occurred when Christ was enthroned at the right hand of God. So that he might execute the plan of God, which will bring his kingdom to its consummation. Now, at the end of the chapter, John sees a worship service that takes place at the consummation of Christ's kingdom. When every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea worships him who sits on the throne and the lamb. And so what we find in chapter 5 is the commencement and the consummation of Christ's kingdom. That's why in the following three chapters, chapters 6 through 8, we find the Lamb opening the seven seals. And once he's opened that last seal, the end of the age has arrived and Christ's kingdom is fully consummated. Now that's just a bit of a review of what we covered last time. Christ's kingdom has been inaugurated and when he returns, it will be consummated. That's really what we also read earlier in the service from Daniel chapter 7. When one like a son of man ascended with the clouds of heaven to the ancient of days, that was fulfilled in Christ who ascended up to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And the saints came to possess the kingdom. And then as uh, the, the, the visions were further explained to Daniel... He saw that the saints were, were persecuted and went through suffering until the Ancient of Days came. That, of course, will be when Christ's kingdom is consummated. And so what the prophet Daniel saw in a vision as prophecy, looking towards the future, the apostle John saw in a vision as already fulfilled in Christ. That Christ has already ascended and come to sit at the right hand of God the Father, that the saints might inherit with him the kingdom. And so Christ's kingdom has already come, but it has not yet come in full. What we will find as we move through the book of Revelation, especially once we get to chapter 20, is that the time between the commencement and the consummation of Christ's kingdom is known as the millennial reign of Christ. When Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father, he sat down to reign. Christ is reigning now. His millennial reign began when he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Again, what John sees at the beginning of chapter 5 is the worship service that took place at the enthronement of Christ at the right hand of God. And this took place when he ascended into heaven. What I want us to focus on this morning is the nature of Christ's reign between the commencement and the consummation of his kingdom. And we will do so by looking at the content of the hymn that the four living creatures and the 24 elders sang at the enthronement of Christ. When he was found worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. We are told that those heavenly creatures 
sang a new song. And the newness of the song has to do with the redemption that Christ had accomplished, which brought about a new age in redemptive history. There are times in the Old Testament when the people were commanded to sing a new song. And the reason for doing so had to do with the Lord's victory over his enemies. Just like Psalm 33 in our call to worship this morning, which sings a new song to the Lord and makes note of the fact that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He brings victory over those nations, victory for himself and his people. Or Psalm 144, where David sings a new song to the Lord because he gives victory to kings and specifically rescues King David from the sword and from, the, from his foreign enemies. Now, Greg Beale, Dr. Greg Beale notes that in the Old Testament, a new song is always an expression of praise for God's victory over the enemy, sometimes including thanksgiving for God's work of creation. So, praise to God for his victory, the victory he wins over the enemies, and sometimes also for his work of creation. In the case of Revelation 5, Dr. Beale notes that the new song celebrates the defeat of the powers of evil and associates Christ's redemptive work with the beginning of the new creation. End quote. You see, because Christ has defeated the cosmic powers of evil at the cross, he has been made worthy to sit at the right hand of God and to reign over all of creation and to subdue those enemies under his feet. He is already reigning over them. He's already received the victory over them. And now he is subduing them under his feet. His defeat over those enemies occurred in the accomplishment of our redemption. We are now new creations in Christ. And Christ is now preparing a place for us where he might take us to be with him forever. That place is the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And so the new song celebrates the new reign of Christ. The new reign of the king who has inaugurated the new creation. And has gained victory over the powers of evil. Now it's important for us to recognize that Christ's victory was achieved in his sacrificial death. And that's why there is such a contrast between what John is told about Christ in this vision and what John sees as he looks at Christ in the vision. He is told by one of the elders that Christ is a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John looks, what he sees is a lamb. Standing as though it had been slain. The lion who conquered is the lamb who was slain. 
It's a bit paradoxical, isn't it? Victory and death seem like quite a contrast, like quite the opposites. They almost seem like an oxymoron. Yet it was in his death that he conquered and gained victory over his enemies. He is the victorious lion precisely because he is the slain lamb. Now, we have to be careful not to think that he was the slain lamb and now is the victorious lion. No, the elder tells John that the lion has conquered. And when John looks, what he sees is the lamb as if it had been slain. So he is simultaneously the victorious lion and the slain lamb. What the book of Revelation here in this vision is presenting to us is Christ from two different perspectives. From one perspective, he looks weak as a helpless lamb that has been led to the slaughter. But with the eyes of faith, we are able to see a different perspective. We are able to see his slaughter as his victory. The lion, beloved, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll. Revelation 5.5. But how did he conquer? Well, that is answered in the new song that is sung by the heavenly creatures down in verse 9. They sing... Worthy are you to take the scroll. Why is he worthy? How has he conquered and become worthy? They sing, worthy are you to take the scroll. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He conquered and became worthy by shedding his blood unto death. You see, he went to the grave as the victor. As the slain lamb, he is the victorious lion. And this victory is what gives occasion for the new song that the heavenly creatures sing. His victory is what inaugurates his reign At the right hand of God the Father. It's what commences the millennial reign of Christ. Now, I've mentioned that twice already in this sermon. But offered no explanation necessarily for it. And we will certainly deal with it more significantly down the road in this series. Lord helping us. But let me point out. Just one thing regarding the millennial reign of Christ. Now in Revelation chapter 20, we are told that during the millennial reign of Christ, Satan will be bound. Now, I've just stated that the millennial reign of Christ began when he ascended into heaven. And perhaps you're saying to yourself or thinking to yourself, well, it doesn't seem to me that Satan is all that bound right now. Evil seems to be prevailing in the world, and Satan seems pretty active to me. And beloved, that 
perspective on the world is a pretty accurate one. And so we need to recognize, or what we need to recognize, is that Revelation chapter 20 does not tell us that the binding of Satan will be from all satanic activity. That's not what it says. Specifically, Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, says that Satan is bound so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Okay, so let's ask. When were the nations deceived? Well, during the Old Testament... God chose one nation, Israel, to be his own. But all the other nations were under the power and deception of Satan, were they not? And we also need to recognize that the word nations there in Greek is the same word that we often translate Gentiles, right? The nations, the Gentiles. Israel was God's people. The Gentiles were deceived by Satan. But now, in the New Testament age, the Gentiles have been included as the people of God. Satan, from the time of Christ's first coming and his ascension up into heaven, has bound Satan from no longer deceiving the nations, the Gentiles. The Gentiles have been included, and the gospel is being spread. Throughout all the world. It's going into all the nations. And the Gentiles are coming into the people of God. They are no longer deceived. Now, Jesus himself predicted his millennial reign. He predicted the millennial age right after he cast a demon out of a possessed man. And in Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 and following, Jesus said, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Beloved, when did Christ bind the strong man and plunder his house, his kingdom? He did so when he ransomed a people for God, not just from the Jews, but from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 5.9. By his blood, the elect from every nation were plundered from Satan's kingdom and they were made a kingdom and priest to our God. Revelation 5.10. The millennial reign of Christ began when he ascended and sat down at the, on his throne at the right hand of God the Father. It's not a reign. This millennial reign is not a reign that will take place sometime off in the future. And it's not a literal 1,000 years. The number is symbolic, just as all the other numbers we've experienced thus far in Revelation have been symbolic. The thousand years is symbolic of a very long time, a very long reign, a very long age. We do not know how long it will be, for no one knows the day nor the hour when Christ will return to consummate his kingdom. What we do know 
is that Christ has plundered Satan's house by ransoming people for God. And throughout this millennial reign, he is sovereignly calling those people to himself from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, this new song concludes in verse 10 by stating that they, those who have been ransomed by Christ, shall reign on the earth. And so Christ is presently reigning, and those who have been ransomed by him shall reign also. Now, we have uh, many ancient manuscripts of the book of Revelation. And certain manuscripts have that word there, reign, in the future tense, which is how it's translated in the SV. They shall reign or will reign. But some of the manuscripts have it as a present tense verb, which would be translated, they reign with Christ on earth, or they are reigning with Christ on earth. And both ways of translating it would be correct theologically, because the reign with Christ has already begun, and it will continue on into the future. But I do think that the manuscript evidence actually points to the present tense verb and not to a future tense. And I won't bore you with all of the reasons why, but let me just point out that in the context of this verse, this very verse, we are told that those ransomed have been made a kingdom and priests to our God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, says the very same thing, that we have been made a kingdom and priests. Revelation 20 also talks about a present reign of the saints. Though maybe a little different aspect of it there, which we will get to at some point in the future. And so I believe that the celestial beings are singing about the redeemed having a present reign with Christ. But what I would like to look at for the remainder of this sermon is the nature of that reign that the redeemed have with Christ, that they have with him presently. And the best way, beloved, to identify the nature of our present reign with Christ is to focus on the manner in which Christ gained the victory and inaugurated his kingdom. The point I want to make is that we conquer and are victorious in our reign in the same way that Christ conquered and gained victory. How did he do that? Well, that's what we have been describing throughout this sermon. The lion conquered as a slain lamb. He conquered by suffering unto death. Hence, the book of Revelation has called him the faithful and true witness. That word witness there, it's from the word martureo. Where we get our word martyr. He is the faithful martyr. As the word witness is often translated. 
He is the preeminent martyr or the preeminent witness. And what is the book of Revelation exhorting us to be? What has it so many times already? We are to be faithful witnesses to Christ. Even under persecution, trial, and suffering. Remain faithful as a witness to Christ unto the end. Even unto death. However that may come. Do you remember what the messages kept calling the seven churches to do? It repeatedly called them to conquer. To the one who conquers. To the one who overcomes. How does the church conquer in the midst of their reign on the earth? Well, they conquer by their faith even unto death. I think Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 spells it out most clearly. In fact, Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 is the exhortation of the whole book of Revelation in a nutshell. It says... And they have conquered him, Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony or witness. It's that word again, martyria. By the word of their martyrdom, their witness, their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. That's the life. And reign of the saints in this age. That's how it's to be spelled out. And so do you see the paradox in the reign, the present reign of the saints? It's the same paradox of Christ's conquering. He conquered through suffering unto death. And we are called in this age to share in his sufferings and his death. And you don't have to just take my word for it or or even take simply the Apostle John's word for it. Listen to the vast range of New Testament teaching on this subject. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 1 Peter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 4 and 5. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Or how about 2 Timothy 2.1? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then a few verses down in verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. 
Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving You an example so that you might follow in his steps. And there it is, beloved. Christ set an example, a pattern for his followers in this age. Christ conquered through suffering and dying and then he was exalted. He was not the victim on the cross. He was the victor. Christ reigned from the cross. He conquered through his suffering unto death. And that is the nature of our present reign also. It is a reign that is veiled to the world. Because it is disguised, so to speak, by our suffering. It looks like weakness to the world, but it is precisely how we reign in the present age. Beloved, Christ set the pattern for his followers. Suffering first, glory second. Suffering in this age, glory in the next And there are theologies out there that don't want to wait for the glory that comes in the age to come. They want it in this age. But that is not what scripture teaches. Just as Christ entered into a state of humiliation and afterwards a state of exaltation, so we suffer first and then we will be exalted like him. If I could give you just one more passage. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did you hear the caveat? We are children and co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And there's the pattern. And when does that glory come? Well, it comes at the revealing. When it's revealed to us, the revealing of Jesus Christ at his return. Beloved, we will reign with Christ in exaltation and glory when he returns. But this does not mean that we are not reigning with Christ now. 
We reign and conquer by being faithful witnesses through all of our different trials, our temptations, our persecutions, and our sufferings in this age unto death. Those come in greater degrees in every age and with every person. But it is what defines this age. In the present age, our lives are not marked by outward might and power. Not for us individually, not for the church as a whole. Rather, it is marked by a life of mortification, a life of cruciformity. The believer's life in this age is a cross-stamped life. That's the life of the church, a cross-stamped life. And perhaps Jesus said it most starkly during his earthly ministry. On several occasions, he told his disciples, pick up your cross and follow me. Christ accomplished salvation for his people, the forgiveness of sins for those who believe by suffering on the cross. And from the cross, there he reigned. And now he calls you, beloved, to reign by picking up your cross and following after him. To him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious God, we thank you for Christ, our example, giving us the pattern, clearly showing us what our lives are now are to be defined as that we might share in his sufferings denying ourselves and living for Christ help us O oh God by your spirit to do so more and more in this life Lord we want to to, to depend upon ourselves, upon our own strength, upon our own power, as if that was anything at all. Help us, O oh God, so that in our weakness we might show your power. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.